Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter chapter twelve. John chapter twelve. It looks a little dark in here. Is that me or? Yeah, my grandkids have my glasses this morning, so maybe that's it. Uh, grandkids will do the craziest things, won't they? How many of you guys are grandparents? Raise your hand. Boy, we'll take stories to the grave with us, won't we? Some of the stories just stand out in my mind. Like this one time I was um, in the um, down at Ocean City with uh, Maeve, uh, my granddaughter. And, uh, and I don't know, I just didn't think I'd go in over my head, so I just w- kind of walked out with her and cut down to her level, and she's letting the waves there. And she just looked at me with this curious um, expression. And within a rapture second, she grabbed my glasses and went, And she just thought that was the greatest thing. Grandkids. Oh, man. In John's gospel, and again, if you're visiting, (laughs) brave the weather to come out here. God bless you guys. But we, again, are studying the life and the ministry of Jesus, doing it in chronological order, following his steps, And uh, I don't know, I'm sure you would uh, testify along with me. I have grown immensely in this study, starting all the way back with in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. So now we have as, well, really, we're in his final week of his life. It'll be shortly after this. And, of course, there's a lot more studies between um, now and and when we see him ascending into heaven, um, but we're there and we're pretty close to when he will um, give up his life for for us. Amen. So, but we find ourselves John chapter twelve, starting with verse twenty. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, one of his disciples, which was at Beth or Bethsaida of Galilee, desiring him, saying, Lord, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew, And Philip tell Jesus. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Shall lose it, he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, serve me him will my father honor. 
Man, I would love to go into verse 27, but we'll save that for next week. Would you stand with me, please, with Bible in hand? Thank you for your living word. You are the word. In the beginning was the word. Lord, we pray, Father, that as we now venture into this final week of yours, that you would give us clarity, that you would help us to understand completely, fully, these things that we read, Lord. Father, I ask again, just upon our minds and upon our hearts, Lord, as we had said earlier, let your word shine. Let it become something brilliant in our lives. We love you, Father, and we're just going to commit this Bible study to you and ask that you would be blessed as well as we study it. Sons and daughters of yours, study in your word. I don't know if it gets any better, Lord. We love you. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. The desire. Now listen up. This kind of kickstarts our our study this morning. The desire to see and to deeply understand, to have a deep knowledge of Jesus greatest desire any human being could ever have. Let me repeat that again. A desire to see, and I don't mean the physical eye, a desire to see, to deeply understand, a deep understanding, and to have a deep knowledge of Jesus is the greatest desire that any human being could ever have. That applies to those who we would say are non-believers that are not born again, but it's also applicable to you and I. Because what happens, especially as we continue this journey with him, we've been saved for years and years and years, I don't know if it's the enemy. I don't know if it's just human life, our human nature. Somehow, that Christian begins to become cold. I don't mean backsliding, complacent with sin. I'm not talking about that. I mean growing in our understanding, our knowledge of him, it becomes less important to us as we grow older in him. And that is a peculiar thing because it should be the opposite. Agreed? Now, we could sit and spend weeks of coming up with rhymes and reasons why it's so. We could say it's because we're busy. I started raising kids. I started getting older and health issues started to set in. And all those are real, real reasons of why someone might give, of why their, their lack and their understanding of him decrease and not increase. We have a passage here 
this passage tells us how to get a deeper understanding and a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, this event occurs weeks or days, literally days before his crucifixion. They are in the vicinity of Jerusalem. They might be in Jerusalem at this point. And um, it's during the Feast of Passover. Now, just remember that there were three mandatory feasts that the Jewish men had to adhere to. It was mandatory. It was a law. Three of them. Passover was one of them. And the reason I tell you this is because I want you to have a clear picture in your mind of just how crowded it was. Now, Josephus, Josephus, historian, tells us that Jerusalem could swell up to close to 2 million people during this time period. 250 lambs would begin to be prepared for that sacrifice, the Passover lamb. You could hear, you could smell everyone cooking. You could see the excitement. It's in the air. Children are running up and down the streets of Jerusalem, visiting neighbors. It was a festive time period, sort of like our Christmas, huh? Together with family and the kids go berserk on the candy canes and, uh, hey, I wish they would make them sugarless somehow. That would really help. Just saying, if you invented one, not low sugar, that's a joke. Low in sugar. Candy cane. No, I'm sorry. But what we are told here in our text is that there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Now, why would there be these Greeks, these Gentiles, in Jerusalem during the feast of Passover? What interest could they possibly have? They're not Jewish, it's obvious, they're Gentiles. Well, these Greeks were probably those who were called God-seekers or God-followers. They, um, they were sincere. They were sincere in their um, desire to worship Jehovah, to search probably for the real meaning of of God. You see, these God seekers or these God fearers were probably dismayed or they just all of the idols. And there were thousands of them. It reminds me of India with uh, Hindu worship. I say this with sensitivity. Because I surely love those people. But I remember my first time in India, outside of Chennai. They actually took me to a factory where they made these little clay idols. Oh, a foot or so, two feet, not very large. And there would be all these dear little Hindu children with their little trays of paints. And they would paint Thousands upon thousands. Literally, there was a field. And as far as the eye could see, all you would see is these 
little idols that they would bow down and worship, you know. And uh, but these Greeks are just tired of it because what they saw was just a a de, um, deification, if I can use that word. I want to be careful. They deified these things, and they knew deep down in their hearts that there was nothing in those things except for the deification of humans. That humans, um, nationality or race, they saw themselves in these little, these little idols. And, and of course, when I started to inquire about these idols, I, and I started to say, well, I noticed that every row is different. There might have been one that kind of represented an ox. There's another one that represented an elephant with multiple arms and hands. There's one. And so they said, well, this God would be purchased because this person is going through such God is purchased because he's at war with this God and this God was. And they had rhyme and reason for every one of these rows. And again, all it was, these things were about was just, well, they it's deification. They, they deified themselves, their ideology, and they found that identity in these little things made out of just clay. Anyway, um, these Greeks um, were God fears. They saw the problem within all these God that basically humans are fallen, so therefore these things really can't be God in and of themselves. And that the Jewish God to them was very attractive. That's why they became God-fearers or God-seekers. There's a couple reasons on different levels they began to seek God. Number one was because there was a And They just didn't see, you know, how it could be millions and millions of God's, no, maybe millions upon millions is an exaggeration, but as far as the eye could see, you know, you couldn't keep track on all these different gods and the meaning of these different gods. If you pleased one, that meant you displeased another. It was probably an awful, it was an awful lot. I mean, it, it must have been very hard to te- keep track of, of them all. But within the Jewish religion, there was one Lord, the Lord God. And that was attractive to them. It seemed like they walked around, the Jewish worshipers walked around with a confidence in the book that they followed, their laws. They had strict and rigid um, laws to adhere to. Another level or another thing that was attractive to them was that this God claimed to be holy, therefore making his people holy. The God seekers, the God followers, these Greeks, they understood that there was nothing in and of themselves holy about these things. And it didn't make them holy. So they recognized that God was holy and that he stood for holiness. And I think this is today that when people come out of um, human secularism or the, the worship of self, 
and they really understand that the human nature is totally deprived, it's less likely they're going to gravitate to an idol made with hands. But it must, it, it, it's more likely that they will gravitate to one who is one God who claims to be holy, nothing him, and that all who come into contact with him, he can make holy as well. And again, this is something that was very, very attractive to them. The one thing about these God fears, though, that I want to bring out to you, even though they worship the God of the Bible, it has been known that they even attended Jewish synagogues. They stopped short of becoming proselyte, become completely converted to Judaism because of the right of circumcision. They didn't buy into that, <laughs> probably for a lot of reasons. But they would never go that far. So therefore, in the eyes, the hearts of Jewish worshipers, um, they were always unclean and never could become clean, Levitically anyway. Now, their request is something that needs to be noticed here. If you look at verse 21, the same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, the northern parts of Galilee, and desiring him, saying, Sir, we, we would see Jesus. I don't know what... We would like to see Jesus. Now, this reveals something about these gods. It likely means that like all the rest, now if you had read the context before you came in this morning, you would have read, everyone heard about the raising of Lazarus from the dead and all the miracles. So most likely these God seekers, these Greeks, had already had some kind of knowledge of him. Miracles, teachings, you know, well, things that he did, maybe possibly walking on the way. Who knows? But that caused a, a desire. to be a curiosity. I want to see this one they call Jesus of Nazareth. So the knowledge of Jesus didn't just spread far and wide among Jewish um, people, but also among the the Greeks, the Gentiles, and not only them. If you remember, good old blind Bartimaeus, he heard one account after another of how this is the guy that can unstop the ear, you know, or open the ear to hear. He can cause the blind to see, the lame to walk, and that's what caused blind Bartimaeus to yell out with a divinical title, "Thou Son of David," which he was saying, "The Messiah, have mercy on me." And then if you remember that story, Jesus calls old blind Bartimaeus over. And I love this because Jesus loves confession. Do you know that? Not confession to man. Don't go in those little booths. Listen, the Bible says to confess your sin to God. Amen. So Jesus calls him and he says, now listen, you've all seen blind people. You can tell when someone's blind. Jesus says, uh, what would you like? New smart TV might help Jesus or... No, of course not. He said, I just want my eyesight back. Ah, according to your faith. But anyway, they were 
great. And here comes these Grecians, and they're, they want us. They want. They want to know something about Jesus. And what are they asking? Look, they're not asking. Pardon, but they're not asking for a selfie. They're not asking for a group picture so they can pay, take it back to the northern parts of Galilee, where most likely these Greeks were from, or or to Greek or Rome itself. But the, what they're what they're asking here. Something a, a lot deeper, and this is what really gives us the the not the body, but the heart of this message. Just that small little we want to see Jesus. Now, see, this is why. Listen, student Bereans of the Bible, this is why you just don't go through your Bible at a you know a quick a quick rapid pace so you can get through it in a year. Though I do commend you reading your Bible in a year, but you gotta stop sometimes. Because that word see doesn't mean, hey, I just want to see something that I've heard about, and then I'll just move on. No, no, no. This word literally, and I'll spell the Greek word for you, E-D-I-O, Edo, it literally means not just to perceive with the eyes, but to perceive by all my senses. They didn't just want a glimpse. Man, if we could just touch him. Is there a distinct odor about him? And I'm not being weird, but even my my sense of smell would captivate. Is there something that I can put my eyes upon? See, that's the way Jesus wants us to know him. You remember I said earlier in the opening of our passage here, there's not a greater desire within the human race than to have a desire to know him, to see him. To understand, to come to a full comprehension of the one we have invited into our heart. We know the sad commentary on our part, in life on our part is when someone says, what about Jesus? And you go, I don't know, figure it out for yourself. And sadly, for most part, that's what the Christian tells people. People will come with a crisis question. But you know, sometimes in the Bible, people will ever read. You'll be the only church that people will go to. A young man came to me years and years ago and just with just such a sincere heart, tears. And he just says, what's God think about homosexual? And I was able just to share with him, with grace and love, what the Bible says about that life. How many people will come to you and say, what does God say about alcoholism and drug abuse? What's God's view on divorce? What's God's view on serving him? And for us to say, I don't know only means you really don't have a deep understanding of Jesus or a knowledge of Jesus. Now, I'm not telling you you're not saved. We're saved by grace through faith. And it's that not of ourselves. We can't do anything. It's a gift. But for the Christian, the follower, the disciple, the learner, to look at anyone and just say, I don't know. 
Either you don't want to engage or you just don't know. But that's what they're asking for. They're not just asking for a selfie, a, a group picture that we can <laughs> Back when Pastor Chuck was alive and he would always make it out to our East Coast Pastors Conference. Everybody wanted a picture with Chuck. We, we, we knew, listen, listen, we knew that Chuck wasn't going to be around, you know, forever. I wish he was still here with us. He's in glory right now, and he would never trade that for anything, right? But that poor man. Selfie with him. Even your pastor. I even said to Tim, Tim, get over there. Stand next to Chuck so I can get a picture of you and my son Tim, you know. But that's not what they want. And they wanted to, they wanted to see him. Maybe get a, get maybe information from him. You know, they, they come, they come in this angle where, well, if we can get, if we can get to him through Philip, you know. Hey, listen, they're thinking, if I can get through, I got a better chance of getting to Jesus through Philip than just trying to approach him on, on, on our own. Now, why? Well, if you think about it, Philip has been walking with Jesus for close to three years now. They're, they're thinking, well, if anyone would personally know him, he would be one of those disciples. Oh, and by the way, Philip is a Greek name. Jewish, but somehow he's got a Greek name. There was two disciples that had Greek names. But still, if we can go through this angle and if we can just go to Jesus using Philip... Well, then maybe Philip can get us in contact with with him and then we can actually um, get, set our eyes on him. Listen, just as a side note. Oh, how can I put this? Another reason why we have to have a relationship with Jesus the world is, especially when we get closer to his return for his bride, and the, and the world continues to spiral downward, there are, there's going to be the remnant, whether it's at a place of work, a place of school, or in your immediate family. And I want to come to you and say, I know that you have a personal relationship. You have been walking, and I'll use myself as an example. You've been walking with him for since 1973. You've been in the ministry since 1987. You were baptized with the Holy Spirit and his power. And I need to get to Jesus. Can I use you as a conduit? And I think the answer would be yes. You can. Well, can you please tell me? And then fill in the blank. Well, you know, it will happen. I think that, you know, back when I first got saved, and I, I don't want ever to exaggerate, so when I first got saved, pretty much everyone I hung out with, I used to hang out with a, at this little corner, we used to call it Hill Store, and Lynn Drive, and and we would meander back at the ball field and I'm not going to tell you what we did back there but 
um, all those friends. I get radically saved. I come back. I tell all my friends, hey, I got saved. You're going to hell. You know, I... <laughs> well, make it, just make it fun, but everyone had rejected the message at first. There was a few few that kind of embraced it and that little remnant of friend of mine we had it off to a coffee house every friday and saturday but um but you know what i noticed though over the years those who had rejected that message started one by one coming when there was a crisis in their lives i'd get a phone call can you tell me what the bible says about can you tell me what god's view is about Gang, listen, it is so important that our knowledge of Jesus deeper and deeper and deeper. And it doesn't just stay surfacy. We want to see Jesus. We want to get our minds wrapped around him. We want to perceive. We want to handle and touch. That might happen through you. Notice Jesus' answer. To them. Verse 23, and I'll cover, I'll read down to verse 26, cover 23 and 24. It says, Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. In your margins, the way that Jesus was glorified, and it was at hand, days away, is through his death, burial, his resurrection. You want to glorify God today? Think of those three words, death, burial, resurrection. Well, how does that apply to me, Har? Well, we have been baptized into death. We have been baptized into his burial. And we have also been baptized in his resurrection. Now, literally, we weren't alive 2,000 years ago. So Paul the Apostle, again in Romans, says this is one of the great mysteries. And by the way, this literally happens to every Christian that's hearing my voice. If you are born again, you have in the heavens, in the eternal, spiritually speaking, you have been baptized into his death. You are now dead to the end. You've been buried. You've been raised to a new life in Christ. That's why we can say we are born again and alive unto God. But anyway, that's his that's how he was glorified. So verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies and it brings forth and it brings forth much fruit, he that loves his life will lose it. He that hateth his life in this world life eternal. If any man serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father. Honor. You know, the very first time I read this passage, I, I really thought that Jesus kind of kind of dodged the question. O o almost like he disconnected with them. Like, why are you bothering with me, you know, with this now? Why are you bothering me with this now? Don't you know I'm just about to be glorified, burial and resurrection. You come to me with this crazy request that these Greeks want to see me. Well, the truth of it, in verse 23, he's answering them. He's not disconnecting. He, they, and, and, and his answer wasn't only for those Greeks of that day, 
but and the Jews of that day, but it's also an answer for you and I if we just look at it carefully. How can a person come, and this is the ultimate question for our lesson, how does he come to a deep knowledge, a fuller understanding of Jesus? He answers this question more than we realize. See, the disciples thought when they asked this question, hey, can these Greeks It's either going to be a thumbs up, yeah, bring them in, or a thumbs down, keep them at bay. I don't want to deal with this right now. But what Jesus does here, he reveals to all of us how to grow in our knowledge and come to a deeper understanding of him. Before we go any further, though, in verse 24, and I certainly got to pick up my pace here, but the verily, verily, or maybe your new most assuredly don't, don't those little phrases l- listen verily verily I say unto you, it's only mentioned 24 times in the Greek New Testament all in light of his teaching by the way and they're all in the gospel of John verily verily in other words when you hear or read verily verily you really do need to tap the brakes a little bit and say okay What is so important to Jesus that he would use such strong language? Verily, verily, he says to them most assuredly. Um, Again, what he does here, he he lists five things for you note takers. And I'm going to kind of go through them a little quick. So just the first thing that he reveals, and again, this is how do we grow in a deeper knowledge and a deeper understanding of Christ, which these Greeks wanted um, is for us to completely understand, listen, the implications of death, burial, and resurrection. What do we mean? How does it apply? You know. Well, when Jesus said, my hour has come, we know he's referring to the death, burial, and resurrection. But he tries to paint this picture by using a grain of wheat. A small little grain of wheat. So picture in your mind, if you would, one little grain of wheat sitting in your hand, in the palm of your hand. Ask... Can you see that grain of wheat sitting there? You would say, of course, with the physical eye, I can see it. But if you take that seed, you plant it into the ground, you bury it, you watch it die there, continue to watch, all of a sudden, a a blade of something green starts to break through the ground, through the soil. You watch it begin to grow and then mature into a full Stalk with this golden head of wheat that just when it's ripe, it topples over. You look at that and then you ask yourself, would I have ever imagined the dying, the growing, the producing by just looking at that? No, no, I wouldn't. So what Jesus is saying here. To these Greeks, if you want to come to a deep understanding of death, 
burial, resurrection, you need to die. You need to die to yourself, die to the sinful will. will. You've got to consider yourself crucified unto Christ. Remember, Jesus was crucified, buried. What happened when he was buried? Our sins were judged. He went to the grave and thus stayed our sins. And then we were, he was raised to new life. The implication about death, burial, resurrection. Folks, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive new life. The old man passed away. The, everything becoming new. That's why I'm very adamant about telling you that when you become born again, there's two roads before you. A narrow way, which is hard to stay on it, and there's few that find it. Or broad is the way, and many find it, and leads to destruction. If you're truly born again, your desire is to be on that narrow path. And your life has completely changed because of his death, his burial, his resurrection. You're alive unto God, not dead. That's why if you're relatively new to the Christian faith and you hear someone who's a little older saying, oh, the Lord spoke to me. Right away, you're going to think that's a whack job. You mean God's speaking out of. No, but someone who's been walking with the Lord. You understand what I mean that the Lord spoke to me, don't you? And so the Lord, why? Because I'm alive under God and dead under sin. Anyway, we can f- come to a, f- a better understanding and a deeper knowledge of his death, burial, and resurrection. Do you remember when Jesus, or when they asked John, who do men say that I am? And they came up with a laundry list of things. Well, some say you're like Elijah, you're a miracle worker. Some say you're like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Some say you're a worker of miracles. Some say you're a great teacher. Some say you're a spokesperson for God, you know. And the list went on and on and on. But the bottom line is, who do you say that I am? Now listen. Peter comes out with this glory. This is one of Peter's moments. You know, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Two things he declares there, that he's the Messiah and that he's God. I can't go into that study then, but he makes that declaration. What does Jesus say after that, though? Oh, Pete, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. When someone understands that he is Messiah and that he was God in the flesh, that that revelation came through. Now, listen. A deep understanding of his death, burial, resurrection. It's a revelation that God reveals to them. Um, Just a quote. And again, sometimes I use these quotes so then you can be mad at the author and not mad at me. If you think of Jesus as being anything less than the promised Messiah or the Son of God, God in the flesh, you don't know him at all. I'm not going to quote again because it can be somewhat insulting to somebody who's been raised in a Christian environment. If he isn't God, God in the flesh, 
revealed by the Holy Spirit to you, I think I would ask myself the question, do I really know him at all? I'm gonna, i got to move ahead here. The uh, second thing that this teaching reveals to us, I can only come to, to know him and to understand him as I live a life of complete obedience to him. If you notice in verse 25, he says, he that loves his life will lose it. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it. Again, Jesus using this illustration of the seed there on basic, you know, applying it to our lives. He's saying to them, you're either going to choose one or the other. Either you're going to choose to live your own personal worldly life or you're going to choose to live a life that's been born again or full of life. You're either going to love one and hate the other or you're going to hate the other and love the other. You understand what I mean? When it comes to a born again Christian, someone who is following Christ... The word of God is not burdensome to him when he is challenged in the word of God. And it might go against human grain, as it were. But you go, you know, I just love my new life in him and I hate the other. Literally, that is a life of obedience. Here you are, someone who has been born again unto God. And you have the Holy Spirit indwelling your life. And then all of a sudden you're reading things and you go, wait a minute, I didn't know this was wrong. But man, it just, I love the fact that I can live this life now. And then you begin to despise the other. It's either going to be one or the other. And when you choose obedience, oh my goodness, it's a spiritual law. You definitely grow in your knowledge and understanding of him. See, when we flounder around in, in, in flesh and in weakness or in depravity, when we flounder around and we start to compromise, you're never going to grow in your understanding of Jesus. We got to be alive to one and dead to the other, or there is no, there is no, um, growing in knowledge and understanding. Now, the other thing that he poses here, is not only do we live a life of obedience, but also to grow in our understanding of him, we have to live a life of service. If you notice what he said in verse 26, if any man serve me. Well, what does service look like? Is service is this determination that when I get up, I am just going to be determined. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to, you know, Sweat great drops of blood in serving him. No, that's not what it means. When we call ourselves servants, it's almost like the nature, the second nature of our new nature. It just comes automatically. You begin to discover and grow in the knowledge of death, burial, and resurrection. Gang, let me tell you something. It comes naturally that I need to serve him now. And you know what that looks like? It looks like sacrifice. It doesn't look like somebody who's being forced into service. Oh, I got to get up. Oh, it's my rotation in Sunday school. Oh, the ushering job again. I got to put on that crazy, stupid tan shirt again. No. No, because you know when you serve him as a living sacrifice, 
It's crazy how your knowledge of him grows and your deep understanding of him is so magnified. It's just, and it becomes, as it were, in your face kind of a, of a thing. See, Paul, in Romans chapter 12, he says, Moreover, brethren, you know, um, uh, moreover, brethren, I declare to you. No, no, that's not. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Thank you. Um, to present your bodies, this, this thing, present your body as a living sacrifice, which is holy in your reasonable service. Reasonable service means for the Christian, it's the most logical thing you could do is to serve. Well, why? Well, I know this, gang. When I serve him, my knowledge of him only grows because I'm, I'm leaning on him. I'm depending on him. I'm asking him for wisdom and guidance on him. I'm, co- I'm constantly going before him. Listen, if you took away from me the years of my service to him, you would take probably 90% of my life. Because since, since the day I entered into the ministry and even before that, because he loved me so much and gave, he served me. The, the Bible says he didn't come to be served, but to serve, give his life for a ransom. When I learned that, I, my chips are in, Lord. I just want to serve you. And as a fruit of that, my knowledge of him begins to grow. And, and my, a deeper understanding. You know, again, Galatians chapter 2. With Christ, nevertheless, I live. But the Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of Man who loved me and he gave himself to me. The way he gave himself to me is the way I want to give myself to you. Sacrificially. And it's, listen, the fruit of that is that my knowledge of him grows. Because I just depend upon him. Listen, I, I don't know about you ladies. But for most guys, they get acquainted with other men when they begin to interact with each other. If somebody were to come to me and say, hey, Har, I would like to come in and just sit across from your desk and stare at you for a while. I'd like to become a little bit more intimate with you and get to know deeper understanding. Now, I, I would pray for wisdom how to answer that gentleman. But it ain't going to happen. Now, if you were with me and we were digging out bathroom and we were working together and we're bumping elbows together and we're laughing at silly things and then conversations come up, you know, about our wives maybe, you know, or about raising kids or maybe a deeper understanding. See, then we get to know each other. Well, that's an illustration I pose to you because that's how it works with me and Jesus. The more I'm in service with him. The more I'm bumping elbows with him, the more I'm telling him about what I be his wife, raising kids, raising grandchildren, or loving my grandchildren. So if you really want a deeper understanding of Jesus, just start to serve him and seek him. Ask him for wisdom and guidance. Does that, any of that make any sense to you guys? Um, in verse 26, and with this final thought here, it says, if any man serve me, we covered that, let him follow me. 
And, and, and again, not only as we serve him, but as we follow him. Now, this isn't something where, where, you know, I follow the teachings of Jesus or I follow the church doctrine or I follow the Apostles' Creed. Now, th- this word literally means something. And it almost means to mirror, mimic. You know, Paul the Apostle said, follow me as I follow Christ. And Paul always used Jesus as an example to follow. So if you want to love like Jesus loved, well, you've got to just go through the Bible and, and just discover all the ways God, Jesus loved or forgiveness. There's a lot of people that just cannot, they can't find forgiveness in their hearts towards an individual or even a group of people. I talked to someone not too long ago. They said, I'll never forget that church or forgive that church I just left. Never will. That's sad. That's just sad. It, it, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, because, you know, we're born again, because we're in service to him, because we're mimicking our lives after the one who's called the son of God, that's not an option. To hold bitterness, contempt, unforgiveness towards someone else is not Christ-like. It's the deification of human personality. What do you mean? Well, you have chosen to worship that God of unforgiveness and bitterness. You chose to do that. So there's got to be things, issues like that, that we lay at the cross. Amen, guys? And we ask for forgiveness. And our prayer is, Lord, I don't only want to serve you, but with you, but now I want to follow you. I want to love the way you love. I want to forgive the way you forgave. I don't want to hold animosity. I want to serve, God. You said you didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve, to lay your life down for a ransom. Listen, guys, I want to be able to say the, these words like Paul the Apostle. Right? I want to be able to say this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but to the rest of Calvary Chapel of South Jersey. That's my paraphrase. I want to grow. But if I want to grow in my knowledge and my understanding, number one, I have to understand the implication of his death, burial, resurrection. If you don't know those three things or how it applies, before we leave, come up and talk with me. Because most likely you've never really invited him into your heart yet. You're on the right track. But if you're just banking when you were raised in a religious home, you go out to a cool church. I don't want one single person to come here on a Sunday without being challenged. Are you saved? If you were to die today, and I'm not wishing that on anyone. You know what I mean. 
But who knows, right? Who knows the will of God? Will you be standing in the hands of God? Or will you be somewhere wondering, what the heck just happened to me? See, we want to be able to say, we have finished well. We have to understand the implication. Making him our personal Lord and Savior. Following him in complete obedience. Joining him in a life of service. And following him day by day by day. Mirroring, if that's a word, our lives after Jesus. Before you react to anything, just check your heart. Would Jesus do it this way? Would Jesus say it this way? Amen. There are a lot of people who question, will question you. Why didn't you react? That guy just said that about you. Why didn't you react? That person got you. Why didn't you give him a tongue lashing? You know, hey, you know, why didn't you just give? Listen, where there is no wood, the fire will go out. Sometimes we just keep feeding it and feeding it and feeding it. Jesus didn't. Amen. Let's stand together. Again, that invitation is still out there this morning. And your Savior. Hey, I get it. I was one of those kids. I always thought there was a God. Something had to be up there. Something had to be. But I didn't know him. I didn't have an understanding of him. I didn't have any deep knowledge of him. But man, once he came in, boy, did that open a floodgate. My goodness. I'll let Rich end us in a song. But as we're praying, make it your prayer. Pardon me, as we're singing. Make it your prayer. Lord, I want a deeper understanding. I want a deeper knowledge. I want to be a conduit in which people can come to. Where they can come and see Jesus. Amen.